James chapter 5. Jesus said, if the salt loses its savor, it's not good for anything. What do you use salt for if it doesn't have flavor? Use it for gravel. If we as believers lose our holiness, then we have no purpose on this earth. We're good for nothing but to be cast in our foot and trodden under the foot of man. Now, God and his omniscient plan is bringing things to a conclusion in our world. But at the same time, with all of the Christian ministries that go on and all the churches around the United States, how could it be that we have a government voted in by us, the people, that is so wicked? Except for we as a people are not the holy people that God intended us for us to be. Paul in 1 Timothy 2 instructed to pray for all the leaders the kings and all those that are in authority, so that we might have peace, that we might be able to continue to preach the gospel. The question is, is the church, for the most part, even preaching the gospel today? It seems that we as a culture, even as a Christian culture, have just kind of begun to relax and enjoy and indulge ourselves. And God calls his people not the lost people, his people to repent. Today in James 5, we look at the prophetic warnings about riches. And while it is an encouragement to Christians that they understand that this is not the final destination, and in persevering, they can kind of get a focus on things and refocus on the Lord in their suffering, there's also something here possibly for all of us, because the word of God is a mirror. He said that in James 1. And we don't want to be like the people that come to the word that reflects who God is and who we are and go away and not change. When the Holy Spirit points things out through the word, we would pray, God, grant me repentance of what you pointed out, that we, beget, we not be forgetful hearers, but obedient to the word. Let's begin with prayer. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding of the word of God. And Lord, that you would give us application and steps that we might be the people that you have saved us to be. That we might accomplish in this life the purpose for which you saved us and gifted us. Lord, that we might hear well done. And we'll give you all the glory, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Believers must be wary of falling into the same sins that characterize unbelievers. The Bible doesn't say wealth is sinful or that money is sinful, but rather the love of money. There's a guy, maybe you've been to his, his seminar and there's a lot of good things that you can learn there. But Dave Ramsey has a seminar, but it's about wealth and about you getting wealth. And yet the Bible is very clear about the fact that you shouldn't try to get rich. That's not, that's not a goal to get rich. There were godly rich men in the scripture, Job, Abraham, Solomon, David. 
But in Solomon's case, he turned his gaze from God to the wealth. And he came to such a decline in his life that even some of his children were offered to the god Moloch from his pagan wives. It's a powerful thing, our love for money. And naturally, as believers, we have to to fight against it. Not just make up excuses or compare ourselves or live by comparison. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, I don't have that much. Now, last week was a tough message, wasn't it? That's a tough message. These arrogance, that, that the arrogant attitudes that we can get where we can just talk about one another. And I was excited to get on to the rich people and say, give it to them, Pablo. Get those rich people. But you know what? We live in the United States today. We are rich compared to the rest of the world. We are rich. Never has the church of Jesus Christ been more wealthy. Mm-hmm. And never has there been so little done for the kingdom. More church buildings were built and more missionaries were sent back in the depression than today. Why? Because I think as a people, we have bought into the whole idea that we need some too. We need to get some too. We even have an apologetic that, you know, God want, we want, we got to show how wealthy we are so other people want to be like us. We need to see how successful we are as athletics or as business people, whatever, then people will be like us. That's not the gospel, friends. God blesses his people, but it is always a danger that we turn our gaze from the blesser to the blessing, that we begin to worship the creature more than the creator. I would say the reason we've come to this place in the United States is because we have slowly, slowly become like the world. And while James is in one of his, his messages in this passage, he's pointing out that there are some fakers in the church. There are some rich people that are playing along and they're not really born again. There's also a message here for us and I believe there's some prophecy here. We'll come to it about the last days. So verses one through six is a prophetic warning about riches. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your misery which are coming upon you. James reminds the godly people, this is not the final destination. This is not where you count up everything and see if your life has been worth it based upon your bank account or the land you have or the house you live in or the car that you drive. There is a judgment coming. And even believers will stand before a beam of judgment, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And there will be a test. And you will see what you have lived for. Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stone. It will be revealed in that day. There's judgment coming. He says to the rich, because their rich is their insulation against poverty, against trouble, Rich seem to be more in control of life. They can send people and put people to work and fire people and cause people to be successful and not successful. And so they've insulated themselves from the hand of God rather than seeing the hand of God, the one that has blessed them. Psalm 37 says, don't fret against the rich man. He looks like he's spreading his, his bows and he's really being an influence. He's going to be forever. Psalm, Psalm 73 The righteous man, David, comes and he says, I was beginning to be distracted. 
I was looking at the rich and it looks how they just pass their wealth on and nothing bad happens to them. They insulate themselves against bad things. And I thought, maybe I've trusted God for nothing. Then I went to church and he heard preaching and was reminded, God has set their feet in slippery places. They go suddenly down to destruction. There is coming a judgment and everyone will stand before that judgment. The lost before the great right throne judgment and the saved before the beam of judgment. And the sad thing about that is we have this opportunity for investment. But if we buy into the world system and think, well, I need some of that too. If we lose our focus from God, we'll miss our opportunity for eternal investment. Judgment is coming. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. The two symbols of wealth are the kind of food people eat and the kind of clothes that they wear. If you have a lot of food, you're insulated from hunger and from bad things coming. You hear a lot of things now from the preppers, right? You better save up. Trouble's coming. And if you don't get some, there'll be nothing. And don't be surprised. You better buy our product. Well, I'll tell you something. You pray about it. If God tells you to buy some prepper food, then buy some prepper food. But let me ask you a question. If the only one in your neighborhood that buys some extra food and you got food and your neighbors find out about it, are you going to kill them if they try to take it from you? Say, so you bet I am. I got my gun rights. Hmm, I wonder what the Lord thinks about that. What if we had a lot of food at church? Would we share it? Or would we say, oh no, members only, and protect it with our guns? Hmm. Or do we say, no, God has promised to take care of his people. He the, he's the one leading us in the paths of righteousness. He's the one that makes us to lie down in green pastures. He's the one that leads us beside still waters. He's the one that protects us from death. When we lose focus of that, we begin to think we've got to take care of ourselves. We become self, self-sufficient. I don't know what's called now, but Amway used to sell their system as you can be financially independent. You can be financially secure. God's not interested in us being financially secure by ourselves or unto ourselves. He wants us dependent on him and on one another. Again, wealth is not bad in itself, but he said, listen, you can set up all the food you want, but what good is it if you can't eat it and it rots? And all the symbols of your wealth are moth-eaten. He said, your gold and silver has rusted. How's that possible? See, the Bible says one day God is going to say the word and there's going to be a great noise and this place is going to melt. It's going to dissolve. Yeah, he can make your gold rust and your silver rust. It means rusted all the way through. And it says, their rust will be a witness against you. You were hoarding money to protect yourself when there were people that had needs all around you. How often do we find that in countries? America is a very unique nation with the middle class that is now falling away. But it's always been rich and poor, filthy rich and filthy poor. It's the way of the world. And God gives you wealth If he has given you wealth, which he's given everybody in America, a measure of wealth to be stewards of. 
because it's not yours. The whole Old Testament economy was set up to emphasize to the people of Israel every day, this is not yours. It's not yours. The land is God's. The money is God's. The people are God's. The animal are God's. It's God's. And he's letting you live here. So how do you be a good steward? Be faithful according to the rules that he set up for you. Be faithful to God's word. It's God's. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and everything that lives and breathes on it belongs to God. That's why almost every communion service, you will hear me say, Lord, everything we are, everything we have is yours. We're just stewards. Your spouse isn't yours. Your children aren't yours. They're God's blessing in your life, and you're to be faithful stewards of those things. But the rich people, and every one of us have the tendency to get our focus on the blessing and then begin to protect it from other people. It's called greed. He said, it's going to be a witness against you and it will burn your flesh like fire. Listen to the prophecy. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Whew. Now, I know the return of the Lord is imminent, and it was imminent in James' day, but how much more? In the last days, we have even Christian seminars talking about you need a bunch of wealth because how much is it going to take for you to retire the way you deserve to retire? I don't know. The Bible says don't set your affection, don't put your security in money because like a, like a bird, it'll take wings and it'll be gone. How many millionaires in the Depression lost everything and committed suicide because that was their life? In times of recession, because people are thieves, we've had those investors that knew how to get people to give them money, and they stole it all, and now they're in jail. But people bought into the schemes because they were greedy. When something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But our focus is not to be on money or the possibility of money. And that's where we get all our attention. Ooh, if I don't get this job, if I don't get this deal, and everybody has to be tense around us because, oh, he's under pressure. We understand it because, well, after all, this is a big deal. And our, our focus is not on the Lord. It is the last days when you are storing up wealth. And reading W.A. Criswell's biography, he said there were more churches built and more missionaries sent in the Depression than there are today with all of the wealth that we have. Because in those days, people were just simple folks. And God said, take the first tithe and give it to him, and they just did it. See, we're much smarter now. We got ways to set up all these things, and we don't have, we don't have to give to God. We, we can handle that ourselves. God said, hmm. All right, well, you, you got passed. Well, that's the Old Testament. Listen, tithing was before the law. It was under the law. And under the tithe, there's so much more that God demanded. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But this idea of hoarding, that in the last days when there's destruction around the world and believers are suffering more than ever before, it's not time for us to be hoarding. When I came here 32 years ago, 
we had an idol. It was a $10,000 savings account. And I didn't make much deal about it. It's what was in the bank. I didn't care. They did everything they could to protect that $10,000. We had to keep that $10,000. And I had a fellow, the guys called Larry, my hunting buddy, Bach, because he was my hunting buddy. And uh, Larry was a giver. He has the gift of giving. He was always looking for opportunities, and people didn't know, but he, they'd find cash in their mailbox or someplace, and where the car was broke down or they needed money, he would find out about it. He would get He just loved to give. He told me one day, Paul, I hate that $10,000 in there. I'll be glad when that thing's gone. But see, in those days, we had a lot of idolaters, good people that believed in stewardship. Really, they're just stingy. Because they had the idea that God only gives you so much chance and that's it. So you better guard all you can, right? Well, God pruned them off the vine. And then the guys, and Larry was still here and he said, I think we need a new church van. That thing's a piece of junk we're driving. So we found this total. Wade put it together and we spent the $10,000 and Larry was so happy. I'm so glad that's gone. The next month it was back in there. You know why? Because you cannot give the Lord. You cannot give the Lord. I am so thankful for our leadership here. I want you to know this. I'm going to tell you to pray for our elders all the time. But our elders do not say, can we afford it? That is not their question. Their question is, is this God's assignment? Is this where God is working? Is this what God has told us to do? That's the first question for all of us. Because God is not poor and he's not cheap. And he wants us to focus on him. He has given us this great adventure called the Christian life. And if you begin as a believer to insulate yourself from his hand and trouble that might be coming, you're going to miss the excitement of seeing God work in your life in particular. These people hoarded. When everything else was going on and they could reach out and help, they said, no, 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 we need to save this. This is for, for me. This is mine. They even thought of a new way of being stingy. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees called it Corbin. They would just take and dedicate all their things to God. So if there was a need, that, oh, sorry, I can't give you because it's God's. They used it. They lived in their houses. They used it. Oh, I can't. So even if their mother and father would have been hurting and needed help, oh, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, I'd love to help you, but... I gave it all to God. They were liars. Then he goes on, and he says, Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. God, the judge of all, knows. See, one way they made money was they just hoarded. Another way is they just stole from people. One of my friends telling me going to his Christian boss, and the boss, after saying a couple times, oh, I just have such a hard time giving you my money. And my buddy said, it's not yours. I work for it. But that's what these rich people thought. You know, hey, it's my money. And the Bible gave laws that said, if you have people that come and work for you in your fields, that's day labor, they're to be paid before the sun goes down. They don't, they're not to be wait till you see if you make a profit or not. You pay them every day. 
And it's a curse if you just hold that guy's money till the next day. Or you say, well, I didn't do as well as I thought I was going to do, so everybody else is going to have to help me pay. No, no, no. The Bible says the rich man or the right, excuse me, the righteous man swears to his own hurt. If you said you're going to do something, you do it. You say, well, I don't think they did as good a job as they should have. That doesn't matter. Your focus is the Lord. You're saying he's the one that provides for me. So I am going to pay this debt even if the people didn't live up to their end of it. I'm going to be righteous before God because I want to put myself in a position that God will lift me up and bless me. And as a believer, we need to stop being so cheap. We act like God's stingy. He's only giving me so much, so... And what does our boast become? Like the felon Proverbs, the fool that when he buys something, he plays the product down. Oh, it is not. It is not. But when he goes his way, oh, do you see the deal I got? I, I stole it from that guy. God sees that. The goal is not how cheap you can get it, but what does God want you to have, whether it's a car, house, clothes, whatever. What is God? The Bible says be anxious for nothing. So many of you get anxious because you think you're spending too much. Your father is rich. The old song says my father is rich and houses and land. He holds the wealth of the world in his hand. Money is not a problem for God, but it becomes for us because we get to be independent. We just want to run things ourselves. I want to tell you something. If you know there's a believer that as a business, you just start with them in making your decision. Well, I can get a better deal, so-and-so. That's not the bottom line, is it? Buying the cheapest product. We built this building. We didn't find the cheapest, uh, the cheapest supplies we could get. We did what God told us to do, and we trusted him. And when we started, we were not a church that could afford this. We were just following the Lord. And about the time, what happens to churches, they'll start there, and then all of a sudden, they can't afford it. And then they, what do they do? They start protecting it. Oh, no, we're safe here. We don't want to support any more people in ministry. We don't need to build any more buildings. We're good. We're good. We, we, here's all we can handle. And it becomes a rut. And a rut is just a grave with the ends kicked out. We don't want to trust God anymore. That's too scary. We can't handle the excitement. God's not cheap but he does want our attention. He wants to be the one that provides. He wants to be the one that leads us. He wants to be the one that causes us to lay down in green pastures. He wants to lead us in his paths of righteousness. He's the one that's there, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's our provider. We should never forget that. We're gonna sing the song, one of our favorites here, the Lord will provide. So all of a sudden, it looks like you're gonna lose the whole show. You say, Lord, what are you doing? It's yours. You can take it if you want. It's yours. I just want to be close to you. And God sees. I know Christian employers have said, we're never going to pay more than minimum wage. That's what we're going to pay. Law requires it. That's all we're going to do. Really? The God of grace has paid you and given you salvation that you can never repay back and you want to be as tight as you can possibly be. 
instead of being as gracious as you can. Now I realize if you're in a business, you got to try to make a profit at the end, so at least you're taking care of your family. I understand that, or you won't be in business. But at the same time, you can tell the good employers, they keep their employees a long time. People want to work for them. Are you one of those kind? If you're an employer, we have a lot of entrepreneurs, and I love that in our church because I know that you have to stay on your face before God, say, oh, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Give us some work today. James Osborne was such a blessing to me when he was just, just starting his business. I wasn't even the first work in James. It wasn't the first week. He said, Paul, I got to talk to you. It's okay. We just met on the road because he was busy like he always is. He said, Paul, I've made a decision. What is that, James? Well, I've decided I need to trust the Lord next month for next month's work. I'm like, that's amazing. Here's this young believer, this young man starting his business saying, I'm going to put God first and I'm going to trust him next month. Because what normal contractors do, they take all they can and then they go into anger management. You're in construction, you know what I mean. You work for the people that are yelling the loudest at you. But James said, I've had to start telling people, no, I can't get there. I can't get there until then. So you should probably find somebody else, but I can get here by next month about this time. And I might be early, but I'm not, you know, I'm just telling you now. Well, then I'll find somebody else. Because they're not the provider. God is. What a joy that was to my heart. To see this young man saying, hey, I'm going to put God first. I'm just going to trust him and see what happens. That's the adventure. That is the adventure. God, my eyes are on you. I'm fixing my eyes on you. It gets tough down here. Verse 5. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Just like cattle. Cattle don't know they're going to be slaughtered. You put them in a feedlot. They don't think, oh, like Hansel and Gretel. Just put a stick out there so they don't know how fat you're getting, right? No, man, they put the feet out there, the cattle, they just eat up the corn. Why? Because they don't know the next thing is a bull between the ears and then steak for somebody. He said, we can get to the place the rich are like that. They say, well, God doesn't see, God doesn't know. They eat my people like they eat bread. Oh, no, God doesn't see this. I'm on my own here. After all, Aren't we supposed to enjoy life? That's right. God intends you to enjoy your life. But for the believer, the greatest joy comes when he is first. Not we get distracted by the blessing, and I think that's what's happened to the United States. God shed his grace on us. We're so thankful. We just want our freedom so we can continue to indulge without fear. We've lived wantonly on the earth. We've lived luxuriously. I don't know if I'll ever go on a cruise because I'm going to poison the well again this morning, but Chrissy says, oh, we should take a cruise. And I, I, have, this, I have this fear of cruises because the way they advertise, oh, all the food you want, supper's always on, 
all the drink you want. We'll take you to all the greatest ports in the world. You can live a life of luxury. And I know as soon as I set foot on there, they'll all get the flu. We'll be puking the whole time. I'm like, happens every once in a while, doesn't it? I'm like, eh. I'm good with cowboy beans at home. I don't need to do that. But that's what's advertised. And you deserve a break, and you deserve some of this, and pretty soon our soul feels at home in Sodom. And we say, let me just partake a little bit. What is luxury? Here's the deal. You need to check with God. You need to check with God. Are you willing to say, Lord, search me and try me? This morning I mentioned golf. I won't go there again. Oh, too late. I already did. Because our staff loves to golf, and they think my life will not be fulfilled unless I've golfed. Well, I have golfed. I am fulfilled. I'm way ahead of them because I've finished my game. They're still working on theirs. But I'm not going to start naming things off, but anything that begins to take that place in your life, if I don't get to do this, there's no joy. Because all of a sudden, you've put something on the throne of Jesus because he's to be our source of joy. Are you willing to look? Are you willing to say, Lord, you see if there's something that I have begun to worship, that I begin to think, Lord, I really need this to have joy. Or Lord, I can't give to that project because i got to pay for my toys. And Lord, you gave me these toys, so you try to blame God for it. It's the wife you gave me, right? She spends so much. These toys, all, and that, that goes on. In Wyoming, that's hunting, camping. It's amazing. You drive some, by some houses, and they got four-wheelers, and they got, you know, little personal vehicles for the water, and they got motorcycles, and they got motor homes. You think, wow. And when do you have to use those? On the weekend. Well, I'd go to church, but pastor, it's summer. And you know that ends in September. So what has taken your focus? What could take your focus away from the Lord? I'll leave that with you and the Lord. But are you willing to say, Lord, am I living luxurious on the earth? Or am I a part of what you're doing? Do I have the freedom when you say give to just give? Or am I enslaved to the things that now own me. Last, he said, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man, and he does not resist you. They hoard, they steal, and they kill. Instead of having an open hand when there's an opportunity, oh, no, I can't give. I got to keep this for myself. They hold back pay. They're cheap. They save, save, save for themselves and they find something that somebody else has and they try to take it from them by legal or by illegal means. And the the thing that comes to my mind is 1 Kings 21. King Ahab was there in Jezreel. If you've been there, I keep putting it out there so you would be jealous and want to go. Nazareth sits here. So say we're in Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. He could look this way and see Mount Carmel. 
where Elijah stood for faith against all the prophets of Baal. And he could look this way and see Jezreel across the valley in a distance. And I don't know, next time I go, if the Lord grants me that, I'm going to look and see if I can see. Because when you're at Jezreel, you just look down the bottom of the hill and you think, well, that's probably where Naboth's vineyards were because there's a spring there. And he must have had a wonderful vineyard because Ahab, the king who can have whatever he wants, looked down there and said, I want that. So first he did the right thing, which he should have known better as a, as a king of Israel. He went down and he said, you know, Naboth, I'd like to buy your vineyard or I'll trade you for one of my great ones. I just like this one. I can look at it every day. It's just, oh, I just, it's so wonderful. And Naboth said, no, I can't, I can't do that because it's, the inheritance of my father. God says God owns the land. I can't give you what God has given my fathers. No, I've got to stay with this. And since he went to the scripture, Ahab knew there was no pressure in talking him out of it. So he went home and he pouted. The king pouted. He turned his faith to the wall and he wouldn't eat. Till finally that wicked, wicked woman, Jezebel, his wife, comes in and says, what is wrong with you? Well, Ahab won't sell me his vineyard. He won't even trade for a better one. She said, well, let me show you the way business is done. You're the king. Wipe your nose. Act like a king. Let me show you how it's done. So she made some rebellious letters out and signed Naboth's name to him like he did this, causing insurrection. And he said, said, now we're going to call for a banquet. And we're going to act like we're going to honor him. And then it just happened to happen. Somebody says, why are we honoring this guy? And these false witnesses stand up and accuse him of this rebellion. And so they do. They invite him to a banquet. And probably, Naboth probably thinks, you know, the king's just trying to, you know, butter me up and get my vineyard. Oh, no. She wasn't interested in that. They got him there, and somebody jumps up and says, hey. And he accuses Naboth. And she says, well, take him out and stone him. And they did. And I wonder, as as James, growing up with Jesus, remembered that story about what they could look at right across the valley. We say, well, why do things, why does God allow wicked people just take things like that? Here's the reason. He's not done yet. He's not done yet. Say, well, I think OJ got away with it. Oh, no, no. If O.J. did it, which I don't know, there's no witnesses came forward, say, well, it's proof. doesn't matter. God says you don't put somebody in jail unless for a capital crime unless there's eyewitnesses. But he said he's eyewitness to all of it. And one day there's going to be a payday. He will see. He who sees all. But we have to back up understanding this is not the final destination. And remember that Naboth is not sorry he's in heaven. When Stephen was stoned for standing for the Lord Jesus and for the gospel, just before he died, God gives him a glimpse of glory and he says, Behold, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. What was Jesus doing? He was getting ready to say, Come on, Stephen, come on home. Come on home. And you know what that caused those rebellious Pharisees and Sadducees to do? They gritted their teeth and they rushed him and they threw him on the ground and they stoned him to death. And he died and he said, Lord Jesus, don't put this to their cause. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just like Jesus said.
You think Steve is in heaven saying, ah, if just I would have played a little cooler, maybe not been so radical by just, you know, in their face gospel, I could have lived a little longer. No. He's one of the heroes of the faith. Naboth is not star, sorry he stood for God's word because this is not the final destination for any of God's children. And that's what James is trying to lay out here. Listen, they might take advantage of you. They might kill you. It's not over because you're dead. There's reward coming. Their reward is coming. And Peter wrote, and he said, the Lord knows how to preserve the godly ones and how to preserve the ungodly ones to the day of judgment. There's a payday coming. God knows hearts. He sees it. But in light of that, because God is a just judge, and death is not the worst thing that can happen to a believer, we just go to be with the Lord. He says, therefore, my brethren, be patient unto the coming of the Lord. What is patience? It's the mark of believer. It's the perseverance of the saint. It's focusing on Jesus and just staying right where God has placed you. It's not moving. You just say, no, no, here I stand like Martin Luther. I can do nothing else. My eyes are on the Lord. Do what you want. I'm not going to compromise what God has called me to do. He said, but remember, you're going to have to have patience. You have to be strong in the Lord. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the latter rain. You too be patient for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, if it was near in that day, he's imminent today too. When you see the signs all around that Jesus laid out for us, wars and rumors of war, it's not about the preservation of this nation. We would pray as, as part of this, Lord, preserve it, that we might be able to continue the gospel, but we're not going to be singing the star-spangled banner in heaven. Mm-mm. We sing a song about this favorite nation, and people say, ooh, that's kind of prejudice, isn't it? Us and nobody else? No, no, no. It's talking about God's people, the nation of God's people, not the nation of the United States. The important thing, whatever God does in his timing, is that we have the opportunity to be found faithful for what he's put in our hands. Now, when times get tough, and we run out of patience, and we run out of preservation, that's when we have to lean on the Lord because there's a tendency to begin to complain against the people that are closest to us. And so he says, no, be patient. Do not complain, my brethren, against one another, lest you be judged. You can get the evil eye even about another believer that has more than you or less than you. You think he's trying to, well, and you can complain about them. He said, no, don't do that. And then he gives this. This is, this is the motivation for a believers. The judge is standing. He is right at the door. He's standing there's a great old gospel song, and the words in there are precious. It goes something like this, that Jesus is waiting for the father to say, son, go get your bride. He's waiting. Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, not even the son of man, only the father knows. 
Jesus anticipates coming back to earth to finish, to call his bride, to call his church out that he can finish. And he's watching, not just the wicked, he's watching us. The judge is standing, he's there, he can hear, he can see, he's right at the door. His return is imminent. Is your desire to be found faithful? We've seen the wrong use of money just briefly. What's the right use of money? Number one, to take care of your family. And not in order, but, but just practically, God gives you jobs. He gives you money to take care of your family. That's a good thing. That's a holy thing that you take care of your family. Maybe you're in a rotten job. I'd be, I've been in some, some jobs that are really kind of hard. And, and, and the one thought that I had while doing those jobs, I, I was looking for some light. Lord, I just got to get through this summer. I just got to finish this summer. But one taste of light that God would give me was, hey, you're taking care of your family. And I'd go, oh, that's a good thought. I'm feeding my babies. God has given me a job. That, that's a good thing to take care of your family. In Proverbs 31, 27, it says about the godly, the virtuous woman. She looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Talking about widows in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul says, if there's a widow indeed. Now, a widow indeed was somebody that had been faithful in the church. She doesn't have any godly children to take care of her because they've passed away or she didn't have any. She's faithful. Then you could take her on the roll and you can take care of her financially. But it says, if anyone does not provide for his own, if she has sons and they claim to be Christians and they're not taking care of her, it says... If anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of, this, of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We have responsibility. And so God gives us money and work so we can take care of our family. Secondly, the righteous purchase of, a purpose of money is to keep our focus on the Lord. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the provider, the protector. He's the one that leads. Matthew chapter 6, 9 Jesus said, pray in this way, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Even though you've got a financially successful business or you've got a great job, it ought to be a matter of prayer. Every time you sit down to eat, say, God, this is from you. I thank you for it. 1 Timothy 6, 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Focus on the Lord. And about the time it looks like things are going south, you're reminded, hold it, I got to get my eyes on Jesus again. I'm not going to get afraid about that because he promised he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Thirdly, righteous purpose of money is that we maintain eternal values. Jesus said, do not store for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break through or steal. So we keep eternal values. Giving is a part of it because we know we're laying up treasure in heaven. All of our things belong to God. We recognize that. 
In Luke 16, there is this very powerful illustration that God gives. And Jesus said there was an unjust steward and he was cheating. And I don't know if he's cheating his master as much as he was cheating other people. And the master caught him and he said, all right, you're done. I'm not going to have this kind of an unsavory character working for me. Straighten out your books and then you're done. And the guy thought to himself, ooh, I'm getting too old to dig. And this is all I know how to do. So what will I do? And he thought, hmm, I know what I'll do. So he went to the people that owed his boss, and he said, how much do you owe my boss? This is what I think he was probably cheating the customers. Oh, I, I owe 100 measures. He said, write down 50. And the guy says, really? Oh, that's awesome. What a great guy you are. And then he goes to the next, how much do you owe my boss? Uh, 100, write down 80. And I don't think those figures are willy-nilly. I think he realized how much he'd been cheating, and he says, you really only owe this much. So that they accepted him when he didn't have a job anymore, well, come and stay with us for a while till you get back on your feet. Oh, you were so good to us. And Jesus said that about that fella. The children of darkness are wiser when it comes to money than the children of light. Then he says this, I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. What's he saying? Use your money to make sure people get to heaven. There's somebody there because you lived. That's the primary focus of our money is kingdom. Eternity, that there'll be people there that will say, I'm so thankful you gave. I'm so thankful you're faithful. I have the gospel. People that you never met come to the Lord in Germany because you sent David and Kristen there. People in Mongolia know the Lord because you sent David and Georgia, different David. David and Georgia there. People in Indonesia that know the Lord because David and Georgia went there. People in Jackson Hole because you sent Jeff and Sheila there. So, well, I never knew those people. That's right, but you were a part of what God was doing and you gave. Then he says, he was faithful in very little, is faithful also in much. He was unrighteous in a very little thing, is unrighteous also in much. So don't say, well, when God blesses me more, then I'll be faithful. Be faithful where you're at. Be faithful where you're at today. Then listen to this. This is, this is really something. Jesus said, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? If you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? What is he saying? Here on earth, everything belongs to God. Psalm 24 again. The earth is the Lord's, and everything that lives and breathes belongs to God. You're just stewards. In heaven, when you're made perfect, it'll be yours. Wow. So some are going to be saved so as by fire because they've sent nothing ahead. They've invested nothing for heaven. And that lasts for eternity. Do you see what an opportunity we have for investment? Where should I start? Well, you better ask God. But I think the good place to start is where God starts. It's the tithe. You see, the children of Israel had gotten to the place. They thought they knew better than God. They could handle it better than, you know, just giving it to the place, the storehouse, the temple, the tabernacle. And so by Malachi... They were robbing God. And Malachi 3, God calls them on it. Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. Cool. How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Where the storehouse? The local church that you belong to. What is that? The first tenth you make, so that was before. Abraham gave tithes before there was a law. When God blessed him, he said, Lord, I'm going to give you the glory. What tithe is, is just demonstrate ownership. That's all it is. Saying, Lord, I belong to you. Everything. He's interested not just in your tithe, but how you spend all the 100% that he gives you. But it starts with the tithe saying, Lord, this is yours. I belong to you. See, in the Old Testament, God owned the land. He owned the first male of every cow and horse and sheep that was born. So every male that was first born, they had to go sacrifice it to the Lord. And if they didn't want to sacrifice it, they had to add a fifth to the worth, 20% to the worth, and they could buy it back. So, wow. If somebody was faithful in the Israel economy, they were always giving. That's what God wanted them to get. He wanted to have a people that reflected his gracious, amazing, giving heart. So, well, I don't know what those elders are going to do with it. It doesn't matter. You gave it to God. He sees it. What if God tells you to give to a bum on the street? You don't know how he's going to invest it. But God says, hey, there's a guy. I want you to give to that guy. He's hurting. Well, Lord, I don't know how he's wasted his living. It doesn't matter. God tells you to give. You just walk over and give to him. But how's he going to use that? It doesn't matter. The Bible says you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. And he knows how to repay. You cannot give the Lord. But these people thought they could do better. He said, now, I want you to do something. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out you a blessing until it overflows. And then I'll rebuke the devourer for you so it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast his grapes to the Lord of the host, and all the nations will call you blessed. God wants to make a spectacle of his people. A spectacle of what? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. And lastly, God desires that we be gracious givers like him. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, they were taking a special offering for the children of Israel that were hurting, the, the Christians that were hurting in Jerusalem because of persecution. And so Paul gives them some instruction. He said, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. That's just laws. You don't sow many seeds, you're not going to get as much of a harvest. That makes sense, right? Well, it's true with God even more. But he said, I don't want you giving because the apostle Paul's coming around. And they, oh, hey, Paul, look what I'm giving. Ooh. He said, no, no. As each one purposes his heart, and that's why it's a biblical principle, that's why we do it here. If there is a special project, whether it's a missions project or a building project, we say, all right, this is what the Lord has laid on our heart at elders. We want you to pray and see what God tells you your part in is it. That's it. No pressure, no threats. No, if you don't, I won't eat. Mm -mm. That's not God's program. Here's the challenge God's laid on our hearts. You pray about it. That's what Paul said. This is the challenge God's laid on the church's heart to meet the needs of Jerusalem. So you pray and then you give as God tells you to, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That means hilarious. That's people that are looking for the opportunity to give. God wants us to be like him. Then he said, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency everything, you may have abundance to every good deed. 
As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That's what God's looking in your life. He's not saying he that dies with the most toys wins. He that dies with the most in the bank wins. An attorney was coming out from a meeting of the family after Rockefeller died. And somebody said, well, how much did he leave? And the lawyer said he left all of it. Mm-hmm. He said, but if I give, what's going to happen to me? You think because you did what God told you, and you gave too much, God, oh, see, my child gave too much. I'm going to have to teach him not to be gracious like that. No, no, no. God is able to supply all your needs so that you might be able to continue to do righteous things that reflect his grace and goodness. And then the last verse of 2 Corinthians 9 says it all. But thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. How can we ever think if we had nothing but Jesus, how could we ever think that he hasn't given us anything? Father, we thank you for your love for us. As your children, help us to be losing our love for the world. And help us to be growing in our desire just to be a reflection of your love and your grace. Lord, help us not to even desire to be financially independent from you. Because, Lord, you're our shepherd. And, Lord, use the word in our heart that if you point something out, we just, we just deal with it. No matter how ridiculous it looks, somebody else would say, Lord, we just want to do what you say. We're your children. You lead us. Everything we have is because of you. Everything we own is yours. Lord, we want to be found faithful. We'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name.